How can you be part of a religious community that straight up denies Sometimes science it feels or like sees the it as suspicious? The church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with keep trying to get answers, I would but they never don't even be a part of a church that is not welcoming as church is the most vocal political voice against immigrants. Some churches still don't want to claim that worship was the actual the church seems to be stuck in ways when the rest of the like, culture how is that actually it seems like so much of the church anti-critical they are being homophobic too narrow judgmental disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world <sighs> the church needs therapy welcome to the newest episode of the church needs therapy you know i'm happy to be back on here, not just interviewing people, but to offer a teaching. You know, sometimes they come from books. Sometimes I'm preparing them. Sometimes they are born out of old sermons somehow, whether it's the same thing or parts of it, or I'm thinking of something new over the years. However it happens, you know, my my desires for the podcast to be, you know, roughly half interviews, half teachings, because there's great stuff when I have people on and there's also things that I still want to say, things I'm still thinking about, things I still have to offer here. So it's good, good to be back here. I'm on the 37th floor of my building looking out the window. I see a harbor downtown Honolulu. I see the ocean in this moment. It's gray clouds above and in Hawaii that means in an hour it'll be sunny again and it also means it's still hot outside. It might even be hotter when it's cloudier because that means that the winds will be lighter and the humidity will kick in more and it's good, good to be here. And today, I'm going to talk about inner authority. But before I do that, what have I been doing lately, right? I'm almost a year, about 11 months off of our last Sunday with Imagine, the church my wife and I co-founded and that I led for, you know, almost a decade and obviously came out with two books, one last year and then one at the beginning of this year. And coming off of a season of rest and recovering and healing and energizing, you know, you give your life to something for almost a decade and honest, and especially with the unique energy that comes with pastoring, it's a lot. You know, there's wounds that happen. There's just a, a certain amount of energy that's required. There's a pace of life, even when you do it well. And I, I'm one thing I'm really proud of doing it is that I did it for almost 10 years and never burnt out and never had a breakdown and never got, you know, physically or emotionally or psychologically burnt out or exhausted to the point that some leaders get to. And, but even when you do it well, it takes a toll, you know, the loss, the requirements, the conflict, it's a lot. You know, that's why one of the reasons why I love pastors and I love clergy and I love leaders is because I understand the unique struggle of it. So definitely coming off an intentional season of resting. I feel like I'm not out of it, but towards the edge of a long liminal space after of letting old things die, a season of healing and I'm not into the next thing, but I can feel it's crazy the way seasons work. I can feel my energy. I can feel my heart 
I can feel my inner resources growing and readying myself to be ready for the next thing, which when the time's right, when those things emerge, people will know what those are. You know, I got some interesting new creative entrepreneurial things ahead. My heart is still for people. My heart is still for being a guide for others. My heart is still encouraging and coming alongside of people on their journey. So the form of that will look different, but the flow that I've been in for a decade of or so of doing that is the same. And that's what I love about the journey ahead. And also I am a third of the way through my third book right now, which I don't want to say exactly what that is, but there is an element of the cosmic Christ in that. And the and cosmic Christ will be in the title. And I don't want to say the rest because that's not all it is. But yeah, it's... Um, I can feel myself expanding and getting ready and being energized for the next thing. And so when you're in a season of healing and a season of death and a season of winter, I tell people winter always lingers longer than you want it to. And I told a friend recently, even as a person who's highly aware of that, that doesn't exempt me from going through it. So my winter in my unique ways lingered longer than I'm comfortable with or desired, but you still have to allow seasons, even hard ones to be what they are to allow the truth of your life to emerge on the other side organically and not to short circuit the process. So yes, but today, so yes, a little update for people who tune in, people who care, people who pay attention, people who listen and now I'm going to talk about inner authority. And I think embracing and being comfortable with our inner authority as people of faith, one, is important in general. But two, when you are living beyond convention, when you are living beyond living up to the expectations of others, when you are living beyond a tribal identity that just wants to fit in, Embracing your inner authority, owning your own voice, and being able to read the inner compass of the spirit within your life are these are some of the most important elements to keep growing and increasing your joy and flexibility and comfortability along the way. You have to know, taste, and trust your own inner authority. Has to you have to make a shift from authority being from something that comes from confirmation from external sources to that which is actually born from within due to interior resources and the interiority of the spirit within you. So, yes, let me I'm going to I'll I'll begin with this. I will share it. I have this deep there's this deep suspicion I've had for a long time about many people's path with God. And it's this so much of what is communicated as religious obedience or spiritual piety is actually just passivity and disempowerment. Can you feel the magnitude of that statement? So much of just general language, say for example, specifically in churches, the general, generally accepted language what normally gets communicated as religious obedience, right? Obedience to God or spiritual piety, you're doing things well, is actually just passivity and disempowerment. 
See, God has created us for creativity, but we seem to prefer conformity. God has created us for innovation, but so many people prefer to just simply gather information from others. God has created us for spiritual experience. That's personal, felt, direct, immediate knowing and experience of the divine for yourself. But so many people prefer living up to other people's expectations. It's easier to live up to an external source's expectations than it is to experience and trust your own spiritual experience. This is why when adults... I don't know if you've ever felt this before, but just listen and see if you ever have this experience. Maybe when you hear other people talk about their faith or just, it's just just conventional language, especially for Christians about religion. But when adults speak of obedience to God, so often to me, it sounds like children who are begrudgingly doing what is right. Right. It's like, well, I'm just trying to be obedient. You know, it's like, well, I want this, but I'm just trying to be obedient. It's like, do you even like this? Are you is this about joy and freedom and this felt like a life that is truly life like Paul talks about? So much of obedience sounds like we're, we have to do, we have to obey God and do what is right, even though we don't really want to or or. You know, what does that mean, want to? You don't trust that it's really going to lead you to life or trust that it leads you to peace. It's like people would rather be doing something else. And when I'm in the presence of that kind of language of obedience, it doesn't always feel like the kind of freedom we have available to us in Christ. Right? So much of the language and culture of obedience comes from childish, immature and pass and honestly passive ways of seeing ourselves in God. Right? We long for the freedom to do what we want. But when those defining times come and we look ahead to the unknown, it's like there's a part of us that still wants someone to just tell us what to do. We keep justifying where we are by telling ourselves that God has us exactly where God wants us. When the truth is that there were a thousand micro decisions made along the way that steered us right to our current location. We say, there's times where people say, we say things like we're waiting for God to speak. And I'm like, maybe God's waiting for you to choose. Like we're waiting for God to speak to, sometimes that's beneath the surface. It's like, I just want to know exactly what to do. And perhaps the spirit is waiting for us to choose a creative, beautiful, and good decision in the midst of a thousand creative, beautiful, and good decisions. Do you feel already some of the difference or how religious language of obedience can be this cloak over a frail life that's scared to create and scared to imagine and scared to choose and scared to dream and scared to live without the need for permission? You know, which, you know, when it comes to choices, think about the life of Moses briefly, right? Moses is the great liberator in the biblical narrative, challenging the Egyptian empire, speaking bone-chilling truth to Pharaoh, leading this mass political and economic liberation of the Israelites, right? Moses was the man, like his presence, his life still speaks and still shapes so many people and has shaped, you know, liberation movements to this day. 
Right? He's the one responsible for revealing to the world that God is always in solidarity with the oppressed and that any form of liberation that does not take injustice into consideration is nothing. Like Moses is that guy. You know the whole like, you're not that guy, pal. No, Moses is that guy. He's also the one who revealed that God always hears the cry. You know, early in Exodus, God always hears, God hears the cry of the oppressed. God hears the cry when the people cry out to him in the book of Exodus. Moses is a singular figure in the social and sacred history of the planet, right? I, I believe that. And when the writer of the book of Hebrews remembers Moses' greatness, they say this, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, right? He grows up in the, in the river, right? Famous stories, Bible, Sunday school. He gets taken, he gets raised in the Egyptian palace, right? So the, the writer of Hebrews says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses chose. That's it. That is what made him great. A choice. Moses chose to be in solidarity with oppression instead of enjoying the endless pleasures provided at the table that was built on the backs of the oppressed. He made a decision. He chose. He consciously made that decision for that radical move away from the palace and in and amongst the people who were being oppressed. So the historical greatness of Moses is defined in part, but in large part from my perspective, by the simple reality of choice. Right, Moses is one of the most iconic, influential, and important figures in human history. A person whose name is really synonymous with liberation, right? A person whose leg legacy has catalyzed more work for transformation in our world than most human beings ever. And the writer of Hebrews says he became that person because he chose to. It wasn't magic, right? Let's bring it back to, remember the whole religious language of obedience is actually a lot of, of you know, passivity and disempowerment. But Moses' journey, it wasn't magic. It was a choice, it wasn't some uncontrollable fate. It was something he decided to do. It wasn't a fixed plan that he just happened to fall into. Although the Bible can feel like that, just some magical unfolding where there wasn't real people making decisions, which is not how I see it, not how I think it is. No, it was a decision he made with his real everyday life. Moses reveals the simple but forgotten truth sometimes, especially when we feel pressure or stressed, that we always have the power to choose. Now, before I go on, when I did one of the podcasts I did what I, that I went on to for my first book was called The Inverse Podcast with Drew Hart, Jared McKenna. Great guys. You know, both are these powerful prophetic voices for justice you know, Drew in Pennsylvania, Jared out in Australia. And when I was on their podcast, one of the things that they do with somebody who comes on is they actually have the guest do a short Bible study, which was, I did not know that, but I was, you know, glad to do it. 
And I told, I was talking about this right here. I didn't say it exactly verbatim of how I just said this, but I was essentially saying the things I was just saying about Moses and choosing. And Drew, you know, being the justice-oriented, aware of the interrelatedness of systemic oppression, institutionalized white supremacy, the way in which individuals within systems do not have the same kinds of choices, the same range of choices as other individuals and systems due to inequality, right? His high awareness of that, he sort of served it up. He's like, Kevin, so after you say this, I just want to like, essentially like, you're not saying almost like, you know, the individual bootstrap myth in America as if everybody has the same opportunities and we just have to try harder, which is a myth, by the way. He's like, you're not, he essentially was like, you're not saying that are you where we just make a choice and we try harder? Like he was basically anticipating the concerns of other people and being like, Kev, I know that you're not a person who thinks that. Let me help you out right now. And I'm like, of course, you know, I said something about that in the moment, but me talking about the power of choices is not to say that every individual has the same kinds of choices. It's the focus for me is recognizing the power of our agency as human beings that we all have. So a black man growing up in the United States of America in any era since its inception does not have the same kind of choices that a white male does because of inequality, because of oppression, because of how black people had been marginalized, oppressed, and not seen as fully human from the beginning, right? A woman growing up in the United States of America historically has not had the same kinds of choices. We can go down the lines of people. The important part of that is recognizing the reality of inequality and how that inequality and oppression and injustice limits some people's decisions and widens other people's choices because of opportunities, because of access to resources. So one, I just want you to know I'm aware of that. I'm not saying everybody has this exact same range or the, the nature of the decisions are the same. Of course not. But we still have this powerful thing called agency. Within whatever limitations are in our life, we still have the power of agency. I mean, Rosa Parks is an amazing example of a black woman whose ability to choose had been so limited due to the simple fact that as a black woman, she had not been given the same resources, same opportunities, same support, same generational equity and wealth that allows for some of the decisions we make. No, as a black woman, her range of choices was drastically different than, say, a white male in the United States of America during the civil rights era. But even within those limitations, with her agency, she had this amazing power to choose to refuse to go to the back of the bus on that famous ride and as a result became this huge spark and catalyst for the civil rights era. Even with those limitations, she displayed this amazing power of agency that we have, right? So back to, that's my sidebar for people, just there's, there's, that's an important clarifying thing to make. But the further spiritual path ahead requires us to go from always seeing. Right now we're just talking about experience and inner authority 
in relationship to expectations and external sources, right? There's a natural movement forward in our spiritual lives from passivity to power. As people of the spirit, we live with a daring sense of permission. We all carry a frightening and liberating sense of freedom to choose. Faith is an exciting invitation not to follow the rules, but to allow love and creativity to help us see beyond the need for rules into the holy horizon of possibilities. That is different. External expectations and then holy possibilities. That is a whole different way of living into the future. The path ahead requires us to always to go from always seeing the governing authority in our life as being outside ourselves in religious leaders, parents, or the country to recognizing the inner authority we have from the authorizing power of the spirit within. The spirit, the authority of the spirit is an authorizing, right? Authority and authorizing. The authority of the spirit is not just for the sake of in and of itself. No, the, the beauty and gift of the spirit within is that it authorizes us to do good things, make creative decisions, and to live into those holy possibilities. And when this starts to happen, life no longer feels like you know, a divine tightrope or some kind of morality test, right? It can feel like that when you're young. Like, I, is this the right decision or the wrong? Am I in God's will or am I, out, am I outside of it? Am I being obedient or disobedient, right? These strong binaries can make things feel real narrow, real tight, real constricting, very filled with pressure. No, it moves from a divine tightrope or a morality test into this cosmic dance, we enter into where we have the freedom to twirl to however the sound of the Spirit moves us. We're called forward to move from obedience to a commanding God, to innovation and creativity with a present Spirit. Can you feel the difference between that? The difference between obedience to a commanding God or innovation and creativity with a present Spirit. That is not negating the presence of God that is not negating the presence and authority of the spirit, but it is shifting our understanding of God from above telling us what to do to the spirit from within being with us, empowering us, enlightening us as we are co-creating and innovating and making decisions along the way. That feels like a life that is truly life. That feels like a life that still allows God to be God, but allows us to be us. To let the authority of the Spirit be the authority of the Spirit, but to also embrace the our own inner authority that is not in, somehow in conflict with the Spirit of God, but is in partnership with and moves forward in, through, and at, or in and as the Spirit of God unfolding in this world. Right, This expansive future I'm trying to point us towards is about us learning the sound of our own voice, tuning into the frequency of our own unique desires, and learning to read the text that the Spirit is writing in and through our own life. And here's the thing. That sounds liberating and amazing, and for some of you it's so freeing, but it also can feel scary right? It's scary to know how free we actually are. 
it's scary to know the power of our decisions to shape our future. It's scary to know that we can live without living up to the boundaries placed on us by external authorities and that we can move forward in a bound in a in a less bounded seemingly boundless way into this wide open path of possibilities into the future because it's also exciting and liberating to realize how powerful we are it's scary but it's liberating and the more you do it the less scary it becomes and the more liberating it is so for the next couple episodes, so I want to focus probably like three episodes on inner authority as we deconstruct our faith, inner authority as we evolve spiritually, inner authority as we transcend old systems and tribes and ways of thinking. And, you know, the, the next couple is what does it take to live with the sensor of inner authority? So I'm saying here's the, the first one is here's the importance of it. Here's the big shift, living up to expectations and the power of inner experience and inner authority. Right, that's a big shift. The next couple is what does it take to live with a sense of inner authority? What gets in the way of our sacred freedom to choose? Why can it be so hard to embrace this infinite, what I see as this infinitely interesting way of being? And, you know, what do we have to let go of to embrace this authority? So the next couple is that. What do we have to let go of to embrace this inner authority? But for now, it's just naming it. There's a shift from living up to the expectations of others and trusting our own inner experience and living from our own inner authority that comes from that deep inner experience of spirit. Life is not a tightrope we walk on to the future. It is this dance we enter into and this creative path where we can make thousands of creative and beautiful good decisions to create a better future, to live with more joy, to live for the, for the sake of others. It's a whole different way of being when we make that shift. 